just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. Who are Kenyatta and Jack? We're just friends who are Gen Xers, former Air Force brats, parents, taxpayers, and citizens of the Earth. And we're here to save it one podcast at a time. Hello, 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 friends. Welcome to another episode of Kenyan and Jack Save the World. And I am one of your co-hosts, Kenyatta, and of course, my fellow co-hosts, Jack. Hi, Jack. Hello, Kenyatta. How are you? Um, pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. What can I say? The world is treating me okay today. Even though it's out of control and chaotic, that's good. <laughs> that's treating you good. Put it that way. There. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I understand a good chunk of the world it's not, but for me today, at least, it was an okay day. We're That's treating good. me fine. That's good. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yep. So how is uh, things in the wonderful world of Virginia going? I mean, it's it's VA. We had we had seven degrees last week, a titch of rain, and now it dropped today. Well, yesterday and today. Yesterday was 50-ish with cold rain. Today, it's still 50-ish, no rain. If I remember, it was the same way, you know, back when I was still at home in Oklahoma. Bring one day, the middle of winter, the next. So, yeah. it's a gimme. Yeah, yeah. It's just a gimme. Otherwise, yes, I'm doing well here. I'm doing well. Mm. Well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm going to brag on myself here a little bit, though. For the first time in God knows how long. All of my Mother's Day gifts have been purchased, and it's not May. I cannot say the same. And I'm hoping nobody listens to this until after Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Right. I just haven't gotten there yet. So the plan is on the books. So whoever's listening, don't say nothing. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, usually it's. Yeah, you know, the day before, and I'm like, oh shit, I'm gonna have to overnight that. No, <laughs> yeah, but and you are ahead of the ball this year, and that is always a good thing. Yeah, well, you know, I I had some mornings to myself while I was in Colorado, and I thought I'm gonna find some Mother's Day gifts for her and get this taken care of. Good like, for once. <laughs> don't, don't don't expect that kind of action when Christmas rolls around, though. If you start now, <laughs> I will not be starting now. I almost want to, like, I just know how I am. I almost want to, like, experiment this year and start when Amazon has their big sale, like, in June. Yeah, yeah, for Prime Day. Yeah, start then, <laughs> and I'll probably buy, like, five gifts and not buy another thing until the end of November, you know what I mean? So. <laughs> there was one year that we started in, like, May, and Heather went to hide the presents, so then when December rolled around, we had no clue where the hell we put those presents. You know who that is, don't you? We're Tell old. me you know who that is. <laughs> We're old? I mean, Mr. McGoo? No. I mean... <laughs> no. Clark Griswold. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, we, we totally Clark Griswold it. And it was similar. We found those gifts like four years later when we were moving. <laughs> that is totally Clark Griswold. 
Yeah, one of them was a computer game for my daughter that we ended up rebuying to give to her for Christmas. And it it was like, it doesn't even work on the operating system on our current computer. (laughs) I mean, well, I mean, you can't, you can't feel so bad about that because that's just the name of the game. No pun. That you, you buy a game and sometimes you really, really like it. And then you, you up the OS after a couple of years and your computer's like, nah, don't worry about it. Like, oh, yeah. me. Yeah, but we didn't even get to play it, so. (laughs) It's even worse. It's even worse. Yeah. Well, you know. I guess everybody needs to have that happen to them at least once. I think there's just a long list of things that folks need to have happen at least once just to say, yeah, I did that. Yep, yep. (laughs) Yeah, I did that. Oh, boy, life. Yeah, yeah. So, uh. Hmm. You have your uh, WTF? I do. And it tickled me. <laughs> I'm just going to say it up front. It tickled me to death. All right. <laughs> oh, um, this is one of my favorites. MTG, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has been running into a little bad luck in her home state in that uh, a group of citizens there are trying to bar her from reelection. Because of her participation in January 6th. So she goes whining to a judge. Oh, my God. They're trying to keep me from from running for re-election. I didn't have anything to do with January 6th. And the judge was like, nah, I'm going to go ahead and let it roll. So she managed to lose her case in front of a federal judge who will not bar the way from these concerned citizens trying to keep her heifer tail from getting re-elected. I am tickled. Pink. <laughs> I'm I'm tickled because of that, and I'm also tickled because let me move my camera. <laughs> I don't know if you can see. That was my WTF of the week. <laughs> you see where we were today. You see where we were today. <laughs> I am tickled. I'm tick- I'm doubly tickled now. I am. <laughs> <laughs> That's just awesome. <laughs> Listening friends, uh, y'all can't see it, but Jack had the same WTF story about the same person, the same current story. That just tells y'all how much on the level that he and I are. It is amazing right now. <laughs> which, which is pretty good since there's like, you know, a thousand miles between us. I know, right? <laughs> what I, I find even more entertaining is she's not the only one. She's no, not. she's not. Um, the other one is that Madison Hawthorne. Is it Madison Hawthorne? No. I, am I mixing yes. my crazy Republicans? No, you're not. It's him. Yeah, he. but he won his. They were not able to get him off the ballot. I wish they would. Right. Because, I mean, do you know anything about him? Yeah, he's nuts. I mean, I don't even know what I'm asking. I know you do. Yeah, it's Captain (sighs) Cocaine Party Orgy Guy. Listen, for this guy, and don't get me wrong, I am absolutely no way have anything derogatory to say about his accident or the fact that he is a paraplegic. My sympathies to him for that. Totally. What I have a problem with is the fact that this turd master lied about the accident 
that put him in that wheelchair. Do you have you heard the story behind I, that? I have not heard that. So it happened just I think he was near the end of high school and him and a friend were driving and got in a, a bad car accident. The friend was mostly uninjured and unfortunately are we saying Cawthorn or Hawthorne? I think oh, it's Hawthorne. Well, there's two dudes. There's the Missouri guy, and then there's this. It's Cawthorne. Madison Cawthorne. Yeah. So, Cawthorne yep. and his friend were in a car accident, and unfortunately, he was injured to the point of fortune he was left paraplegic. Mm -hmm. He lied and said the friend was driving, when in fact, it was him. And he told the police that the friend was driving. And then it came out sometime later that that was a lie and that he had lied on his friend and expected his friend to go along with it. The story he was telling when he was running for office and, and for a while after he was elected was that that accident unfortunately killed his chances on getting into the Naval Academy. Another lie because he had already been rejected from the Naval Academy. So this, this kid has been fibbing it up all up and down. Yeah. Which tells you the whole cocaine party orgy thing is probably bullcrap. Well, I mean, we mm. knew it was. Yeah. Because that came out entirely different than how he expected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Surely did. And that's, that's, that's why hearing that story about him didn't surprise me a bit because he's been, he's been lying and making up fibs for years. And he seems to have absolutely no issue with doing that. That means that gets him attention, which... He's gotten it. Yeah. And I, I found I found his election interesting. So that's when I followed when I started following when he first got elected. And he just kind of fascinated me for a while. So every story I would see about him, I would read it and it just got worse and worse and worse. Oh yeah. So yeah, I I'm I feel I feel kind of bad that he's still able to run, but that does not mitigate my tickled pink joy over Ms. Green. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> In the article I had, I just sort of want to read a little bit to it because I think it's sort of funny. Mm -hmm. um, so it says, there are people that are like, why shouldn't the voters of northern Georgia just get to decide if Marjorie Taylor Greene should or shouldn't be their candidate, i.e. she loses in the primaries? Why should it be a matter of a legal challenge? And then the response is, well, that is the exact question Congress wrestled with in 1886 when they debated passing Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And it says, shouldn't Shoulders voters get to decide if Confederate President Jefferson Davis returns to power? The people who said, oh, it's okay to let the voters decide, lost that battle. It stands for all time now as a protection that says anyone who crosses that line cannot be safeguarded with a position of power. Hmm. And so the organization that's suing is pleased that the federal court allows it to go on. And then their next statement is, one of the important reasons for Section 3 is you can't just trust them in public office. You Not in the way that people say you can't trust politicians, but in a, they pose a danger to our democracy. <laughs> so. I, I suppose I should feel some measure of comfort in that somebody... Somebody in that in in her jurisdiction has actually realized how dangerous she is, yeah. and has 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 rallied the troops, so to speak, to keep her from getting real. I'm 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 mildly surprised at this, but I'm loving the way it's going right now. So yeah, me too. <laughs> and, 
the thing is, when you listen to this, her talk, she is dumber than a box of rocks. No Higgins, my boy Higgins, a dog, probably understands the American system of government better than she does. The fact that he can understand that by ringing the bell, he will bring y'all out there so he can get fed. That right. tells me he's light years ahead of her. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> About, they have these blocks that you can program a word into it and a dog can tap them so it can say like outside, outside or food. And Heather wants to get them for Higgins. And a part of me is like, that would be really cool. But then I'm like, oh, God, he would be so annoying with that. I've heard of that for dogs and cats. And I just, I feel like it would be revenge on the pet's part just to aggravate the hell out of you for kicks. He didn't, the pet doesn't want anything. It just knows it can aggravate you and that you'll get up. Either you get up and come or you just yell at him. And they're like, my job here is done. I see that happening. Yeah. <laughs> he already does that. He'll go and ring the bell, and as soon as you get up to go and let him out, he goes back and lays down. Mm-hmm. See? He already understands. Already yeah. understands. So we forgive him because he's a beloved pet. Miss Green, not she's so much. Not, she's not beloved or a pet. <laughs> uh, she, she's somebody's beloved, not ours. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, you might be giving her, her husband a little too much. <laughs> he might be like, crap, I can't divorce her now. Well, I'm I'm looking at Jared Kushner. Mm. Right? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Things I like guess. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or what's the I, other one? Um, Stephen Miller. Yeah, they're dead inside, but yeah. somebody allegedly loves them. <laughs> right. You know, I'm gonna just real quick use my use Jared Kushner now that you mentioned it as. My replacement, WTF. Okay. Um, so since Trump left office, because remember, he was part of Trump's staff, Jared Kushner started some sort of financial company thing. I have no clue. I'm not wealthy. I don't know how that shit works. Mm. And one of the first things he did, even though the government of Saudi Arabia didn't want to do it, but one of the princes gave his company a... $3 billion contract, I believe it is, to do something. And sort of my point on that is, weren't the Trumps digging, trying to dig up dirt on Hunter Biden for a $20 million contract in the Ukraine? And this one's for $3 billion, and you can't tell me that the reason that he got this contract is because he used to work in the White House? They know that Trump's going to run again, and he may work in the White House in the future, and they want to keep Donald Trump happy. <sighs> now, now let—I'm not saying that if the Ukraine thing with Hunter Biden happened, that it was correct or right or whatever. And if he mm -hmm. moved the law, he should, by all means, whatever the consequences for that are, he should suffer them. But the difference between twenty million and three billion is fairly large. From what I from what I understand of math, yes, right, yes, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and if you were pissed off about the one, you should be pissed off about the other. For them, the difference between these two things is equivalent to the differences in severity between Hillary's emails and 
Trump's flushing and thieving of uh, classified documents that were. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. They believe one is not like the other because of who did it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's always going to be that. It's always going to be more sinned, more sinned against than sin. So, yeah, of course, they're going to make whatever Hunter Biden is going through that much worse. Of course, they're going to minimize whatever Kushner's got himself involved in. Of course, it's par for the course. If at any point somebody on that team set up and said, this is bad. Even if they said that much, I would be shocked out of my shoes. Like, what? I know. I know. But But that's to anybody thinking that law and order should apply to everybody. I don't know what, I don't know what we could possibly be thinking of, like the audacity. (laughs) I know. I know. Damn us and our wanting people to be treated equally and suffer consequences for their bad actions equally. God, we're so stupid. So naive. I know. What gullible. We are. <laughs> so gullible. I know. <laughs> but here we are. So. Yeah, here we are. Here we are. Yeah, fun <sighs> times. I well, know it. Hmm. I guess we should move on because I know that you have a topic that you wanted to talk about and educate me on and i do not really know what it is so i am excited Mm. to find out and as usual i will let you talk and if i have a question i will ask it very good very good um to start off with and as jack and i spoke offline this past week or so i had had a couple topics in mind i was going back and forth on and then this one kind of plopped in my lap just off of uh, a link to a facebook post and i was like that and a recent news story that had come up. So those two things were like, this might be good to discuss. So the news story that had recently come out, I believe was last week, that the governor of Mississippi declared the month of April Confederate Heritage Month. Oh. And I was baffled. Um, and let me just let me just preface this by saying Mississippi politicians have done their citizenry no good for a very long time. There's some fine folks in Mississippi. I know because my mother's from there, half my family is from there, and a lot of them still live there. Good people. It is a beautiful place to be. The thing of it is, though, is that the state of the government or the, the, the laws in that state pretty much since what do you want to say? Maybe reconstruction, I'll say. And I'm probably getting more into that as I go into the topic. Mississippi politicians have been decidedly, uh, rigidly conservative. So they have unfortunately denied their citizenry a lot of things. And unfortunately, Mississippi ends up at the bottom of a lot of lists. Education, health, overall, average income, things like that. The things that make a quality way of life for people. Unfortunately, they end up on the bottom of those lists. And I hate it. And the fact that this man has the nerve to declare Confederate Heritage Month made me stop and think, what exactly is Confederate heritage supposed to be about? Is it about supposedly celebrating being a Southerner? Is it about the fact that Mississippi was one of those states that was on the losing side 
of this country's one and so far only civil war. Is it about what, being a loser? I mean, exactly. Why, why are we celebrating that part? And I'm thinking to myself, after all these years of thinking that, I'm like, it, there has to be more to it. There has to be some reason why there's so many people from the South, not just Mississippi, but the South in general, that still hang on to this idea of Confederate heritage. What is that supposed to mean? The South itself, that region has a colorful history. And it's so many things that have come out of the Southern states since this country came to be. And I'm like, there has to be a difference between Southern history and Confederate heritage. There has to be, because yeah. you, can't, you can't tell me that, and it's almost a disservice to paint just a broad stroke and say all of the South is pointless because of the Confederacy. You can't say that. There's more to, to Southern life and legacy than just that. So what I wanted to look at or talk about today is the difference as I've sussed it out, between the two, Southern history versus Confederate heritage. Okay. This so, should be interesting. I hope so, because as, as I think we both do when we research and dig into these, we find a lot of stuff sometimes. So it took a little bit of whittling down to be able to stick to what I wanted to talk about. So just a little background to start as far as the southern, so-called Southern region of the United States is concerned. There's a lot of debate sometimes on what states actually make up the South, but I'm going to go with what the government says because the government is always right. That is true. <laughs> According to the U.S. Census Bureau, the Southern region has 16 states in this to split into three smaller subregions. Okay. Which are the South Atlantic states that include Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia. West Virginia, Maryland, and Delaware. Okay. The East, what's called the East-South Central States, Alabama, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Tennessee. And then the West-South Central States, Arkansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and Texas. Wait, yes. that has answered the question officially from the government. Oklahoma is part of the South. Yes, the government is always right. So, a little bit about, like I said, how, how the, I guess how you could say the South came to be. It was initially settled, that region was initially settled uh, throughout Georgia, Louisiana, the most what we call, some people call the Deep South states, the ones along the coast. Settled by British colonists in the 17th century, mostly in the coastal regions. And into the 18th century, they saw an influx of Scots and what were called Ulster Scots, later known yep. as Scots-Irish. Yep. into the Appalachia and the Piedmont region, which is an area of land that extends from Georgia up through, I want to say, West Virginia. So after that, um, there came a large influx of indentured English servants. And this is a tidbit I found fun, and there's debate on this term as well still out there. Because they were considered servant class and therefore lesser than or non-elite, they were often referred to as crackers. So there's there's been debate by people much smarter than me on where that term supposedly came from. There's a, a story of origin about the sound that was made when a, a piece of corn was cracked to mash right. it. There's the story about the sound that a whip would make, the tip of a whip would make, the crack, right. and a couple of other ones that unfortunately I didn't get down. But I find it interesting 
that that term was originated by upper upper class English uh, <laughs> right. English immigrants to refer to yeah. lower class English yeah. immigrants. <laughs> yeah. If yeah, that is funny. If I could interject real quick, because sure. Scotland is one of my things. Mm-hmm. The reason the Scots and the Ulster Scots, uh, Ulster Scott is now Northern Ireland. That's mm-hmm. what it's officially called. Mm-hmm. And so basically, England took over sort of that area, and they colonized that part of Ireland. Mm-hmm. And then they moved people from Scotland and sort of the the northern part of England that borders Scotland. Uh-huh. And they moved those people over to that part of Ireland, Ulster. Hmm. And that's why the Scots-Irish came. And so it's really weird because a lot of Ireland, like, you know, in Scotland it's Mick and it's MC. And then that part of Ireland, it's M-A-C. Mm-hmm. And then Ireland, the same thing as O. So if you see something like O'Connor, that would be son of Connor. Mac just means son, so son of. So all of every girl you've ever met named Mackenzie, her name literally means son of Kenzie, which was also a male name. <laughs> so that's literally what their name means. Huh. And in the and in the eighteen hundreds, all of a sudden it was a big thing to want to uh, produce wool and have sheep. Mm-hmm. So all of the wealthy landowners in mm-hmm. Ireland and Scotland basically took the people that rented property from them and said, yeah, we're not renting it to you anymore. This is now a sheep farm. And they kicked them off their land. And so coming to the States was sort of their way to survive and to earn a living. They almost Mm -hmm. didn't have, they almost didn't have a choice. Right. It was either moved to one of the bigger towns in that area. Mm -hmm. You know, in Scotland, it would be Edinburgh or um, gosh, darn it. Now my, anyway, and in Ireland, you know, like Dublin or Belfast. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why they came over when you're talking about in that time. And mm-hmm. a lot of Scots settled in Appalachia because it reminded them of home. Right. Yep. yep. So just that quick, simple aside. That's <laughs> poignant to what you're talking about. It absolutely is. And thank you for that. For that, that bit about the MC versus MAC. I would have never known that. I like new things. Yeah. <laughs> As yep. a matter of fact, most European Southerners or those of European descent today are either a partial or majority English and Scots Irish ancestry. Yep. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Not to mention uh, Germans that came through and they actually populated parts of, I believe, Texas and then further up into West Virginia as well. Mm-hmm. So. Much of the po- speaking of Texas, much of the population of East Texas, Louisiana, coastal Mississippi, and Alabama, plus Florida, can trace their ancestry to French and Spanish colonists. Yep. And let's not forget about the French community of New Orleans that yep. began back in the 1880s. Now, we before we leave the 19th century, a big thing happened. Between 1831 and 1838, the government decided that the white colonists in the area were absolutely incorrect in in wanting the land that was currently occupied by the indigenous tribes, that the colonists had every right to want that land to be able to start planting crops, primarily cotton, because that part of the country was and still is prime, prime 
agricultural area, at least at that time. It still is to a point. But so between 1831 and 1838, it was a government sanctioned mass expulsion of the indigenous peoples in several states of the South. And that included Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, North Carolina, and Florida. They were forced to leave their lands even after agreeing to, I guess you could call it a treaty, to be able to exchange land for goods. But yep. even that agreement was reneged on. Yes, that's one of the great quotes of history. Andrew Jackson, uh, Chickasha, I believe it was, maybe Cherokee, took it all the way to the Supreme Court. Cherokee. They won. And Andrew Jackson famously said, you have your decision. Now I would like to see you enforce it. And that's exactly what happened. He was like, nah, don't, yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, you may have signed off. And a, a, a great deal, in this case, it was the Cherokee, a great deal the Cherokee citizens signed off on it and said, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll take it. If it was an option between this or that, they opted to go with that, and they signed off on it. And like you said, Jackson was like, yeah, don't worry about it. So between that span of years, tens of thousands of indigenous were forced to walk from their home areas along what was called the Trail of Tears. Yep. And ended up in what was then called Indian Territory. We now know it as the state of Oklahoma. Here's the kicker. Um Friends, if you've been listening with us from the beginning, you'll remember our episode early on about the history of Haiti and how Haiti won their revolution against their uh, French overlords, mm, assholes. Good word. How they won the revolution against the French. And in doing so, the French was forced to sell a parcel of land to the American government in what was called the Louisiana Purchase. The piece of land that was designated Indian Territory was a part of that land in the in, in Louisiana Purchase. So when you think about it in the roundabout way, the victory of the Native Haitians led to the expansion of slavery in the states. There you go. Because the government had that much more land to right. be able to crop. And in order to crop, they needed labor. Hence... Slavery, but we'll touch on that a smidge later. A few more general things about the South, and this is the part I, I was really wanting to get into as far as what the South is, what it's contributed, what it looks like now. Um, and I mean, I think I probably mentioned it earlier, Southern states tend to be a lot more conservative than the rest of the country. Um, many rural communities amongst the South, especially what's called deep South states, in very religious-based, significant Catholic populations in a lot of cities in the South, Atlanta, Savannah, Mobile, New Orleans, Baltimore, and Louisville, that the more inland areas or inland states, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Alabama, have stronger concentrations of Baptists, Methodists, Church of Christ, and other Protestant religions. It doesn't surprise me one bit about the Baptists. It never will. But there you go. Right. <laughs> Interestingly enough, and this is this shouldn't this shouldn't surprise me either, but the South Florida area is home to the country's second largest concentration of Jewish people. Hmm. Cities like Miami, Atlanta, right. Dallas, and Houston has significant Jewish and Muslim communities. Many immigrants from Southeast Asia and South Asia have brought Buddhism and Hinduism to that area as well. 
Here's a fun fact. Atlanta has one of the largest Kurd populations in the world outside of the Middle East. Interesting. It very much is. So in, in other aspects of Southern culture, and this is also a fun one, I had, I had uh, um, a little bit of fun reading through, Southern dialects. And for those of us that are from the South, and technically your hosts are from the South, so there. Yeah. <laughs> southern dialects vary because there is no one quote unquote southern dialect. A dialect from a Texan is completely different from a dialect from a Louisiana. But we're all considered southern. So and, and, I, and I remember saying to somebody not too long after I moved here, um, they had the nerve to tell me I sounded country. I was like, this is Virginia it's country here too. I just moved from country to country. What do you want? And and there's a distinct difference, even with the accents of a native born, let's say Virginia, than it is like a native born Oklahoma or a native born right. Louisiana, but it's all considered the South. So when we talk about dialects, we consider the fact that a lot of dialects, especially amongst the African-American population in the South um, came from their retention of whatever African languages they could come, they brought right. with them and still smoke among themselves because plantations tend to be isolated to where they would only communicate between themselves. And there were certain parts, especially in Georgia, where they were so self-contained that they were able to continue to keep passing down the language. And that particular dialect was very, became very specific and was called Gullah or Geechee. And it's hard to, dis- it's hard to describe I know a guy whose grandmother was Geechee and he he did a very good approximation of how she spoke. And it's not like anything you've ever heard. It's almost you can compare it to Creole in the fact that it's it's they're distinct from one another, but they're specific to the areas. But we're talking an influx of like languages from countries in Africa and then also from Caribbean countries. Right. So there's there's particular pockets of lost my train of thought particular pockets of certain citizens depending on where you are in the south that has specific language and i love the fact that in the sources that i researched they made mention of african-american vernacular english i am absolutely delighted that that's being acknowledged that's a dialect all of its own honestly and that also is something that kind of derived from the south and has, has spread northward and outward as far as being a recognized diet a recognized American English dialect. So now, again, like I said, languages is one of those tricky things. And I found it interesting. And in one of the bits that I've read is that, let's see, pinpointed that the Southern, the Southern dialect is one of the biggest. Yeah. It's the largest accent group in the United States. Huh. Yeah. And when you think about how many states are considered the South and just the different dialects that we have across the board, that is it's not so far fetched to believe that. Honestly, I had to think about it for a minute. I was like, that makes sense. Because you think about like other er other regions of the country that have particular dialects, like the Northeast, for instance, like Massachusetts and Philly. And then you have New York and they've got a dialect all their own, things like that. And you think about just how many people and how many states are involved in the South. And yeah, I believe it. I absolutely yeah. believe it. Yep. 
And another part of Southern culture is Southern food. Now, if you watch enough cooking shows, you've seen every Southern cook out there make something that you wouldn't risk it, but you'll sit there and watch them do it. And, and most of the time, there's been like a plethora of cuisine that has come out of, of Southern states. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Now, one of those ones, one of those supposed categories is called soul food. And I've heard people, you know, especially a lot of Black people talk about soul food and some folks, you know, we swear by it. And some folks are like, they wouldn't mess with. And there's a, there's a, there's a whole back history on, on the history of where soul food comes from. Again, mostly coming from our ancestors' time in slavery. But then it's, it's come up and evolved and blossomed in a lot of the traditions that former slaves had in cooking what they had kind of bloomed and blossomed. And now we've got access to everything we want to be able to cook. A lot of those traditions are carried over. But... African-American or former slaves were not the only influences. We also had Native American or indigenous people, the Scots-Irish and and other cultures that came through that area that also influenced that style of cooking there in the area. Um, We've got what's known as Cajun cooking, Creole cooking, um, and many others I probably haven't heard of, but I, I promise New Orleans is on my bucket list and I will be there sooner than later. (laughs) <laughs> the universe willing. So we've got not just the, the culinary culture, we've got arts and entertainment, we've got writers, William Faulkner, Mark Twain, Zora Neale Hurston, Tennessee Williams, who, by the way, the film adaptation of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof is one of my favorites. Really? Check it out. It is. Paul Newman was at his prime. Check it out. Truman Capote. Margaret Mitchell, author of Garden of the Wind, and Harper Lee, author of the classic To Kill a Mockingbird. Right. Now, here's the my one of my favorite parts. I actually did some research on this about a year ago for a work-related project. The musical history of the South. And I'll just stop right here and say the musical history of the South literally is the musical history of America. Practically yes. every genre of music you can think of had originated in the South. We're talking about the spirituals that were sung in the fields by the slaves that turned into gospel, that turned into blues, that turned into jazz, that turned into bluegrass, to country, rock and roll, funk, R&B, everything. I won't go into it because I'll be there all day. But if you <laughs> if you ever get the chance to research the history of music in the country, you'll find a lot of it originates from the South. That is true. Yep. And the South also saw or was the origin of, of a couple of huge historical movements, one of which was called the Great Migration that started occurring during World War One and spanned the years up through World War Two, where many Black people moved from the South up into the North, where they had greater opportunity for jobs, better living, because the North was becoming more industrialized than the South was at the time. And... The South also saw or wore the roots of the civil rights movement uh, during the 50s and 60s. And hopefully you guys had competent history teachers that at least were able to touch on what that was about. I won't go into much detail, but indeed the movement did see its roots in the Southern states at the time. So those were just a few of things that I found that I felt illustrated Southern culture 
because mm-hmm. there's a lot right. of there's a lot of significant things that came out of the south. But again, what what I kept getting stuck on was how does that how is that supposed to go hand in hand or does it go hand in hand with Confederate heritage? So yeah, one could even add real quick that mm-hmm. uh, football is southern culture in a way mm. because Friday nights not just in like Texas or Friday nights in most of the South is high school football. And then of course, college football. Um, Yes. Ohio is huge in football. And so is Michigan. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, I mean, the South football is, is it. And it's really probably only been since the seventies that like basketball really took off in the South. True. There is that. There's definitely that, yeah. There's just there's so many things that have sprung from that area that yeah. make it that make it significant. And not only, like I said, not only was I always pausing on how that keeps getting conflated with the Confederacy, but it almost worried me to the point that that's all the South would ever be known for was the Confederacy, and that's not right. fair to the to the people that live there now. And no. when people. Yeah, and when people think about the South, obviously they're not thinking about the whole region of the South that I just mentioned at the top of the discussion. They think more of the states that were the Confederacy at the time of the Civil War. Right. And there were there were only technically 11, 13, 11 that seceded, 13 if you count the border states that threw themselves in with the Confederacy as well. So. There was uh, a period between the American Revolution and uh, about 30 so years up until the Civil War, where the northerner, the northern populace became more and more concerned about slavery down the south. And, and naturally, the southerners didn't like it. You know, you're creeping right. up on our business. You're trying to ruin our livelihood by taking this away from us. So they felt it was. I've heard I've heard the Civil War named as what was the War of Northern Oppression, or the War of Northern Aggression. Aggression, yes. Yeah. So yeah, the Southerners felt threatened somehow that they had every right to do what they were doing, and they'll be doggone if anybody forces them to give it up. So the white the white Southerners like to justify this peculiar institution, saying it was supported on the grounds of biblical sanction economic justification, the supposed racial inferiority of Black people, and the necessity for a well-ordered society. Fancy that. Yeah, just a matter of, wow, I just, mm-hmm. I'm shocked that those are the arguments used. I, I mean, I can't. I can't imagine. Like, who can ever go against that? Ever. I know. I mean. <laughs> so, naturally, things ramped up in, in the following years up until, you know, as we know, the start of the Civil War. Seven states seceded by March of 1861. And these are the early days just before the official start. Right. South Carolina um, in December of 1960, Mississippi. You mean 1860. Oh, boy. 1860. (laughs) (laughs) Mississippi, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, and Texas all in early 1861. Now, by this time, Lincoln has won and has called up more troops after the southern states had gathered forces and attacked Union troops at the beginning of what what was the beginning, the official beginning of the Civil War, the Battle of Fort Sumter. 
Four more states seceded after that between April and May, Virginia, Arkansas, Tennessee, and North Carolina. So those are the original 11 that seceded. Kentucky and Missouri were considered border states, but also threw their lot in with the Confederacy. And Indian Territory also threw their lot in with the Confederacy as well. Yes, but- the, the Confederacy, if I have my history correct, had basically told uh, the five civilized tribes that were now in Indian Territory that, mm-hmm. unlike the Union, we won't, re- you know, we won't screw you over in treaties. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll we'll leave you alone. So that was part of it, which I believe Oklahoma had one of the last battles of the Civil War, uh, the Battle mm-hmm. of Honey Springs. Mm-hmm. And also at the same time, it led to the fastest turnaround of a state being ratified as a state with West Virginia when they left. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it was like three weeks and they're like, bam, you're a state. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Here's a bit I found interesting. So the Confederate states, when they, you know, got quote unquote official, they, they wrote themselves up a constitution. Yeah. It was basically a mirror image of the United States constitution with a couple of significant changes. Uh, one of which is that they, it reflected a stronger philosophy of states' rights, curtailing the power of the central authority, and also contained explicit protection of the institution of slavery, though international slave trading was prohibited. Reading that, I had to once again wonder, how in the world does anybody argue that the Civil War was about states' rights when it's clear language in the Confederate Constitution that they wanted to protect the institution of slavery. Well, that was the state's right that they wanted to keep. Exactly. But somehow that part keeps getting left out. Fancy. Yeah, isn't that strange? (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, we all know how the Civil War ended. And after that, some years after that, the period of what's called Reconstruction began. And that took through 1877. But... The South was still bitter, Um, and they still insisted that Blacks were inferior and continued to want to treat them as such, even though technically they couldn't own them anymore. They thought of more ways to prove what they've always thought. So, You know, sometimes you just have to get creative, Kenyatta. They do, and this is how they did it. And, you know, (laughs) when, when your back is against the wall... You know, creativity just sparks. So that, this is, I felt horrible saying that, by the way, <laughs> even though this, it was sarcastic. <laughs> these are what these prime examples of humanity came up with. Um, since they couldn't have their beloved slavery, um, they came up with three pillar, three pillars of three pillars of, I guess you could say, control. You might as well just say control. The economic system of sharecropping. And if right. you ever know anything about sharecropping, that was not a profitable venture, but it was the only one that was allowed or able to be had by a lot of blacks. Right. At in that some time regards, in that area. <laughs> in some regards, that was like slavery 2.0. Mm. The political system of what, what's referred to as one party politics, democratic, and the social system of racial segregation, supported right. by Jim Crow and other various tactics to make sure, and I'm just going to say it, to make sure Blacks stayed in their place. That was the goal. And yes. unfortunately, it was it was successful for a time. So 
What I always found interesting, though, was throughout since the Civil War up until now, how people who claim to be so proud of their Southern heritage would always have a particular visual by which to demonstrate it. And it would always be what's known mm, generally as the Confederate flag. Right. If you know what it is, you know what it looks like. But in researching, I found some interesting things about how the history of the flag and how it came to be what it symbolizes now. Because back during the Civil War, and I suspect this was the case in every kind of war then, um, each army involved in a conflict would have to have a battlefield flag to be able to make the distinction between who was who. So there was a certain design that was made up as a battlefield flag for the troops of the Confederate Army. And it started out as um, an object of what they call veneration or a way to honor fallen Confederate soldiers, a way to honor their families and such. That I get. You'll never get me to agree with the Confederacy and their reasonings for want to get into a war. But I can understand wanting to honor their loved ones, no matter who they were or what they believed in. They had people that loved and cared about them. And I understand wanting to be able to honor them with passing them the flag if someone had passed. I get that. But within a decade or so after the end of the Civil War, and even before the end of Reconstruction, a lot of white Southerners began using the flag as a memorial symbol for for falling heroes as a whole. It wasn't just specific to families anymore. By the beginning of the turn of the 20th century, during what was called the Lost Cause movement, in which white Southerners uh, read that as supremacists, formed organizations, erected and dedicated monuments, and propagated a Confederate history of the quote-unquote war between the states, the Confederate flag saw a lot of popularity in Southern life. So now the flag has gone from a battlefield flag to a symbol of the Confederacy as a whole. Right. At some point then, or by the early 1900s, give or take, when, when or, well, early 1900s, 1920s, we saw an uptick in white supremacist groups, specifically the Ku Klux Klan, they snatched it and started using the flag as a symbol of their beliefs. And all of a sudden, the idea of what the flag was supposed to represent took a turn for the worse. Right. And now they're walking around with the flag saying, this is a symbol of what we believe in. And it was at that point removed from what his original intent was. And, and I don't even know that a lot of people realize, and I didn't, not specifically until I did my research. I don't know that a lot of people realize that the flag that we see now is actually, um, that wasn't, that's not an actual that wasn't ever an actual flag. It's almost a combination of several different flags that were had mm-hmm. uh, as battlefield flags, as well as official flags of the Confederacy. There were three different flags of the Confederacy. There were also a lot of different flags for the naval arm of the forces. Right. So the flag that we see today is almost a combination of a naval flag and one of the original designs of the Confederate flag. So I'm wondering how many people that walk around displaying that flag screaming about Confederate pride, do you really even know what you're saying? Do you really know the history of the flag and what its intent was? They don't. And that's why I'm at this point when I see, especially in the last couple of years with the the, the movement in civil rights that we've seen since um, George Floyd 
anytime you have someone, let's say, that's involved, say, with BML or any kind of civil rights group protesting, you have counter-protesters that show up. And more often than they should, they're waving the Confederate flag. They know exactly what that represents or what that means to a certain section of the population. They're not bringing it out there because they're proud to be Southern. They're bringing it out there to antagonize people. Yep. And I hate the fact that the hatred or the way it's symbolized now is so intrinsically tied to Southern history. And it kind of, it, it, it leaves a stain on Southern history to me, to, so to speak. Right, right. To keep conflating it with the darker period of the Civil War and what the Confederacy intended to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, think about this. Tom Brady has won more Super Bowls than the number of years that the Confederacy was a quote-unquote government for the time that they were there. <laughs> Think about that. Indeed. What the Confederacy was, what, four and a half years? Mm-hmm. Tom Brady's got six. So, I mean, and there are other <laughs> things. Disco lasted longer than the Confederacy. And so many people were ready for disco to go. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's that's kind of, that's what put it what that's what it put it what's what put it on my mind to want to do this or talk about this today because i feel like there was something missing between what people keep interpreting as southern history and what people keep wanting to hold on to as as far as the confederacy was concerned and i i hate i'd hate to have i hate to keep seeing a whole region of this country with such a rich history continue to be tainted by four and a half years of misguided whatever they thought they were up to down there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I don't I don't understand it either. And obviously there are racists everywhere. But you see yes. people that are like in Michigan and they're having the Confederate, you know, that flag and they're like, it's my history. And I'm like, is it really? I mean, yeah, maybe I guess your family may have moved from the South, but do you really want to be a part of that? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay, let, let's just say, for instance, yeah, you may live in, in Michigan. You may have had relatives that were generations of, of your family born and raised in the South. Do you really want the Confederate flag to be representative of your family? Do you yeah. do you do you understand what the Confederate flag, the the most, I guess the most high profile recognition of what the flag stands for now? Do you really want your family to be associated with that? Are you sure? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, why would you want to be associated with that? Because when ultimately now when you look at that flag, what it boils down to at its core is a group of people we're so entrenched in we cannot stop owning other human beings that we are willing to tear the country apart to fight for this point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's sort of like we've talked about uh, previously, too, is, you know, when you hear people say, well, you've ruined your country. Why don't you go back to your country and not ruin our country? And we've, you know, commented, no, it's the leaders of that country that have done that. It was the leadership in the wealthy of the south mm-hmm. that wanted to continue owning people mm-hmm. and the the poor white person in the south probably i don't know maybe they maybe their goal was to eventually have a plantation but mm-hmm. they were sort of like immigrants that come here stuck in the situation where their leaders put them in this position mm-hmm. and 
you know, you almost didn't have a choice but to go and fight. And who knows how many people didn't really want to. Who knows how exactly. many people were all for it, you know, and were, were, we don't know it's in the past, but I'm sure there were a significant amount of people that didn't like slavery, but they had no choice but to fight for the South. Mm-hmm. And to celebrate, to me, ultimately, you're celebrating the ownership of other people. Yeah. And how can you celebrate that? Not only that, not only not only do you seemingly want to celebrate that, but considering whose hands that flag has been passed down to over the years, it went from dedicated, still want to be slave owners, all the way down to the Klan. Never, never mind what, never mind what more, I guess you could say more innocent means were intended for the flag in between those points. Right. Whether or not, whether or not it was intended just to be a hand-me-down for, for soldiers' families and their descendants. Like I said, again, I'm, I don't have an issue with that. That, that's, that's a big yeah. thing to have things to hand down to your families. But you mean to tell me that somewhere in there between the Confederacy using it and the Klan using it, knowing that you're still okay with having this represent who you are. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. No, I, I, I can't, I can't fathom it. You know what I mean? Like there's so many other things about there's, there's so many other things about the South period for you to be proud of. Why that? Yeah. Yeah. That it, yeah. That's just strange. And then to get back to what started this whole thing, why mm-hmm. why is a governor or legislator or you know legislative body would you want to celebrate Confederate heritage? I could understand we're going to celebrate the South, mm-hmm. but you know <laughs> it's the Confederacy that doesn't have a a lot of good sort of you know thoughts that go with that. Mm-mm. Nope. Nope. And just to add to that, when we talk about like the statues and the memorials and things that were put up in honor of Confederate heroes, a lot of that wasn't done in the wake of the Civil War. Yeah, it, was it was done during mostly during the Civil Rights era, just yeah. to gently remind Black people that we are never going to let you have your way. That was it. That was it. So that's just one more thing to take under consideration when you talk about trying to celebrate Confederate history. I don't get it. I don't get it. And and like I said, researching this, it did bring certain things into more clarity. It didn't make me agree with the viewpoint any more than I ever have. But it did serve to, 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 like I said, add more clarity, mostly, uh, mostly about the origins and the culture and the backgrounds of the folks born and born and raised in the South who originated in the South. So that was a pleasant part of the research, researching, you know, up to the civil war and things like that. Not so much, but clarity is clarity. So, yeah, you know, you don't, you don't see people in Germany having Adolf Hitler history month. No. Right. I'm I'm, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's some clandestine groups somewhere here and there all over the place that still worship him and think he was a brilliant leader, well, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. But they they're keep called, their mouths shut about it. <laughs> yeah, they're called uh, neo-Nazis, the Proud Boys, mm-hmm. Donald Trump. 
Oh, they're so they've been so successful with passing their message on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, that that it just seems odd and stupid and as long as you keep doing crap like that, one has to wonder if you do crap like that to almost keep people from uh, and for lack of a better term, moving on from that. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, yep. not that not that it's like, oh, hey, and I move on. I don't mean it that way. It's just I can't think of a better terminology for it. No, I've, I've, I follow to, you. To get rid of that as like a generational thing that keeps going, you have to quit. Not, you know, you still need to teach it so people don't do it, but you have to quit celebrating it. Mm-hmm. It has to be recognized as the horrible thing that it was, what it represents in mm-hmm. that particular time in history. Mm-hmm. And when you celebrate it, the generation that is the younger generation that would leave those thoughts behind of that being a good thing and this, mm-hmm. they don't get to the point of we have to, for you know, this was horrible shit. They don't get to that mm-hmm. point because it's been celebrated by the adults in their world. Mm-hmm. So they can't get past that so that they think it's bullshit, and then their kids think it's bullshit. And it's mm-hmm. almost like you're trying to keep the flame alive. Let's light yes. this candle in the window of bigotry. <laughs> that that's an interesting analogy. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Like let's yeah, let's keep it's not like you're keeping hope alive. The hope was been, the hope has been gone. It's done. Right. It's a done deal. We all know how that ended. So yeah, it, it's almost like they don't mind perpetrating that fallacy generation after generation after generation. And like I said, I really feel at this point that folks that show up to a protest or any kind of demonstration where civil rights are an issue, when they show up with this flag, they're doing it intentionally to antagonize people. That's it. Yep. Nope. That's That's it. it. And the goal has to be, can we make, uh, the people on the other side so angry that they attack us so we can be like, see, look, they're the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Because that's yep. already part of their narrative anyway. Yep. It's bananas. It's bananas. But yeah, I I said I felt I felt like I needed to look into that dichotomy just a little bit. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. yeah that was that was definitely interesting and yeah, it's people. You shouldn't own other people. Yep. You shouldn't celebrate the ownership of other people. Yeah, I. But of course, again, they don't. They won't see it like that. They won't see it. it that doggone war of northern suppression. <laughs> northern. They're they're gonna Aggression. come and make us stop owning people. Aggression, suppression, aggravation, whatever they want to call it. <laughs> it was the north that was the problem, basically. <laughs> well, I mean. Yeah, when you when you're trying to stop people from being shitty, you're, you're trying to take our livelihood. No, yeah. Why don't you Why don't you get out there and work the fields? How about that? <laughs> right. Exactly. And you know, but, yeah. as we've discussed before, parts of this still exist. You know, today mm-hmm. with what? Well, we're gonna have to pay these people. You know, more money to come and cut cabbage down for us. We can't do that. That will destroy our farm. Mm-hmm. People have been eating cabbage for a long time. I'm sure we'll figure out a way to get through it. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, 
the the narrative of this country is nothing if not industrious. Imagine if they used their creativity to have made a more, I'm not sure what word I want to use, but a more equal, uniform, fair type of way to make the South work that incorporated everybody instead of using all of their creativity to hold people down. Think about how far along we could be as a country if that had occurred. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but, I, I, and I'm not laughing at the idea. <laughs> I'm laughing at thinking about those genteel, <laughs> those right. genteel cultured Southerners aghast at the idea of going out there and doing manual labor. Are you kidding me? I'm not yeah. doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if it was a case of, well, what if we just had one swimming pool and everybody swam in it instead of two, right? <laughs> Heaven forbid. <laughs> yeah, at some point, it would have almost, it's almost like they made their life more difficult in trying to come up with shitty ways to treat black, you know, black people. <laughs> when you put it that way, yes, because you could have been out there. You could have hired a crew and, and somebody and hired as in paid of their own free will to come out there and do that as opposed to paying for slaves, housing slaves, keeping slaves in line, punishing slaves that, that disobey. That's a lot. I'm when just even talking about, about after the Civil War with Jim Crow and sharecropping. Thank and you. All like I that. said, it's just like <laughs> every everything that the moral majority, quote unquote, has done to try to keep power. It's so, you're right, it's so much energy ex expulsion or however you want to put it. It's so much energy spent that could have been done so much better, so much more efficiently. And you wouldn't have, you wouldn't be looking at the fractured, not just history, but the fractured state of the union right now. But no. Yeah. <laughs> but no. Yep. Well, you know, that's that's what we do as people. There could be the easy, we all get a long way, and let's love one another way. And then there's the, yeah, no, let's just treat everybody like shit. It's it might be a lot harder, and it may take a lot more work to treat everybody like shit, but damn it, that's the route we're going to take. That's what we're going to do. Because <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out for us in the end, fellas. It will. Yeah. They told themselves. It's like, it's like, it's like Wile E. Coyote. Time after time after time, he thinks he has the best laid plan. And it goes to shit on him. And then he's like, let me try this one. <laughs> he's like, that damn roadrunner making life hard for me. No, it couldn't be. It couldn't be his horrible planning. It couldn't be the cheap equipment he keeps buying from Acne. No, it's the roadrunner's fault. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if those darn black people would just accept that we're superior and not want to be equal, the world would be so much better. Nobody edit that out and make that a quote, please. I was being a sarcastic person at that time. I would hope that anybody listening would know that by now. So <laughs> I just friends, want that. I want the clarification out there. <laughs> friends, don't turn us in. It's we didn't do it. <laughs> we didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we didn't do it. So that's that's my story on um, this is America. So, yes. Yeah. <sighs> Let's not let that... I know we've sort of, maybe, to use a churchy term, backslidden a little bit on our love of our fellow Americans over the last 
six ish, seven ish years. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's let's not do that. Everybody is important. Mm-hmm. Love everybody. Treat everybody kindly. Always assume that somebody's in the middle of a shitty day, so treat them kindly. True. True. And it is true. You know, I well, sort of. This sort of ties in, and slightly in a way. I don't. Have you seen the news of that plane flight that was coming back, where the dude asked if he could play his guitar, and then he led the plane in a uh, worship and praise of. They were so, all, they were volunteers going right, to Ukraine. Yeah. Right. So sort of look at that as a certain percentage of the population that likes to vote for orange men. Now imagine. <laughs> Imagine that same situation, but instead of those white guitar playing fellas, it was, say, two fellas from Iraq on a plane. And they asked if they could play guitar. And they started leading you in a Muslim worship song. Do they exist? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just saying. Can you imagine what people that like to vote for orange men, how they would be freaking out over that occurring in a plane? Mm Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. it's sort of the same thing with when you look at overall like Jim Crow and keeping people down. It's that exact same principle. Mm-hmm. It's just not playing music on a plane. Exactly that. Exactly that. Oh boy. Yeah. yeah. And and this is and this is sort of the the basis of not that I feel like responding too often when I see people talk about there's no when they use the lame, the lame line, nobody today is a slave in the United States. No one here owns slaves right now. But do you you purposely want to fail to understand that slavery has had a long, long, long legacy in various forms that killed that still continues up until today? Yeah. And and <laughs> that's part of the problem. Yeah. yeah. So it's yes. But no, as no bird, one like, currently Unless you're doing BDM, BDSM porn, you are not a slave. And that's a different type of slavery. And I'm joking I mean, about that, incestual. by the way. But I'm that's joking incestual. about that, by the way. But, <laughs> you know, I, I guess in the modern world, the closest I can think of to something like that um, is R. Kelly and the women that he had. Because they were kind of treated like slaves in a way. That... But, is that's a whole but thing. that's a whole other different thing for a different podcast but <laughs> it's just no yes no one alive currently is a slave or owns slaves but okay. the legacy yes of slavery still shines bright in this country and just when you think that it's dimmed some asshole goes and polishes the lamp so that it starts shining bright again mm-hmm. and the only legacy that should remain from that is the legacy of this was horrible we need to know this we need to study this so it we don't let it happen again mm-hmm. that should be the only legacy the legacy of these people are inferior to us these people well you know what we have to we can't let someone like that you know vote we have to put all of this stuff into place who cares if there's a constitutional amendment we're Mm going to have a workaround Mm -hmm. and that that legacy shines bright it still exists there are many people that i didn't even know had sort of certain tendencies until recently Mm -hmm. and that 
that legacy needs to end. How how to do it? I I don't know. Other than quit having Confederate Heritage Month, that would <laughs> be a start. When you when you talk about the legacy, a part of that, a good deal of that that exists now is in the laws of this country, city to city, state to state, so on and so forth. That's yep. what that's what CRT talks about. Yeah, the the inherent systemic racism that is the foundation of many of this country's local and state and federal laws. You're talking about redlining and districting and how banks approve loans and whether or not anybody who's not white can live in this neighborhood and whether or not this public school gets as much funding as this public school, so on, yep. so forth. It's deep. It's deep in the foundation. Yeah. It's deep. And so yeah, it's still there. The legacy is still there. It's just it just speaks a different language now. Yeah, it and just, yeah. like I had no idea until you enlightened me on this that even like the term grandfathered in yeah. stems from racism. Mm-hmm. And it's like, holy shit, everybody talks about, well, that's gotta be grandfathered in all the time. And it's like I mean, I guess maybe the term grandfathered in is a reverse of the Confederate flag, and it started out with a shitty meaning, and now it just sort of means overall something that's been around slightly. Mm-hmm. But yes, you know, I had no idea that that or, or from the or that. the basis or the basis for today's present law enforcement system stems from mm-hmm. slave catching. Yep, that is also so, true. Yeah, it's yeah. it's there. It's still there. It, it trickles underneath. All of what we're talking about, all of all the things we do, the, the jobs we work and the places we live and the yeah. business we frequent it. It's all underneath all of that. And so you know, to to hear pe- people ignorantly keep saying nobody's affected by this today. You've got to be fucking kidding. Sorry, mom. You've got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> and you know, as if you've listened to this show for any length of time, I'm sure you've probably figured out that that I'm white. But as a white guy, I spent a large portion of my life sort of oblivious to certain things. And it's not that I didn't care. I just didn't know. And mm-hmm. you can't know what you don't know. And I didn't know. But as soon as I started learning and finding things out, because I feel you should try to learn something new every day. Mm-hmm. And as I've sort of learned, and it's just like, oh, my gosh, this is so, not that, too. That's also based, oh, my gosh. And it's just like, oh, it never ends. <laughs> it and so never now, ends. <laughs> and so now it's like, you know, you'll hear somebody talk about, and they'll be like, well, he's just an angry black man. Because, you know, there's that trope sort yes. of used. And it's like, well, you know, maybe if you had to go through, like, four generations of being shit on, maybe you would be angry, too. Just a little, just a little, just a little rageful. Maybe just a little bit, just a little bit irritated. Maybe. Yeah. It would, you know, <laughs> Maybe. May, yeah. And, you know, so I, I get it. There's a certain point where you have to look at history and you have to realize certain aspects of this live on today. Yep. It just may not be so blatant. <laughs> you know, so it's not, of, it's not as, it's not as overt. Right. You know, yeah. when you when you realize that the only reason marijuana was outlawed, or the re- or how they got it outlawed, was by mm-hmm. making it a racial thing. Yep. Black men will sleep with your white daughters if you don't ban marijuana. 
Heaven forbid. <sighs> that would be horrible. But yeah, and and even even after talking about all of this, I still maybe I'm naive. I've said it more than once. It still doesn't entirely kill the hope I have that at some point we all recognize what we're dealing with. And yeah. I, I I say that to include every everyone that's not white as well because. I can I can speak for myself when I say, and I, I think I mentioned this not too long ago. I had a very myopic view of white folks in general mm. for a long time, yeah. and it wasn't fair. And I realized a lot of it just had to do with the environment I chose to be in, where I worked, and who I hung out with, and who I chose to have discussions with. And a lot of things either turned into echo chambers or so much pessimism that it was hard to want it was hard to listen to even if even it was coming from my own folks it was hard to listen to sometimes and i'm like okay here's our side of it and trust me when i say historically we've got beef we got legitimate beef at the same time i'm not giving fair shake to the white part of the population the folks that i know personally and the, the wider i let my mindset be the better i got on first listening than two discussing. Right. So I I, I can't, I'm not going to sit up here and say, I, I hated white people. No, it was never like that. It was just for a certain amount of time. I, I kind of held my guard up when it came to talking about certain things or who I could approach to talk about right. certain things or who right. I trusted. Yeah. But it's gotten better because once again, I think we've, we've been saying this all along. We're all at our base, our, our basic our, our base existence is humanity. That's it. Everything past that is a matter of genetics and location, really. Yeah. And that's the, the way we look, how we speak, what language we speak, what religion we practice, if anything, what we do for a living, blah, 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 blah. At our yeah. base level, we're all humans. That's where we have to start at. And that's what I had to remind myself of after a certain point, because I knew there was something I was missing. That was part of why I was missing. Yeah. My so. my hope is, you know, sometimes when you clean your room, you got to dump everything in the middle of the floor to get the room clean. Mm-hmm. You got to make a giant mess to clean the mess. And mm-hmm. I'm hoping that maybe right now we're just in the we've dumped everything out in the living room phase or in yeah. the middle of the room phase. And we're slowly starting to pick crap up and put it where it needs to go. That's mm-hmm. my hope. That's my hope. That's, that's how I feel that, too, because for... The the two, well, I won't say just the two major things, but two of the more major things that have happened in this country in the last couple of years coincided around the same time, which I think historians will be scratching their heads on that one for a really long time. Like, what were the odds? What were the odds that the first pandemic in 100 years in a major civil rights movement, not just nationwide, but worldwide would break out? Yeah. At the same time. And I think those those things kind of they overlapped each other in the fact that one, I think humans that were concerned with trying to be trying to remain humane started recognizing each other. And we started seeing those around us, like you were saying, people we knew. All of a sudden we started seeing them saying things and doing things. We were like, whoa, yeah. I don't know about you anymore. And I think I think in there somewhere a lot of us 
that try our best to be decent people most of the time. I think we started we started kind of pushing back against the assholes of the world, like mm-hmm. the selfishness and the ignorance and things like that. And I, there's so many things we I could go on. I don't want to, but yeah. there's so many things yeah. I think have just cascaded in in a domino effect in the last few years. And I think we're I think hopefully we're seeing an evolution of consciousness in a lot of ways, I think. And I'm yeah. hopeful for that. I think in some ways the solitude of the beginning of the pandemic that made a lot of people turn introspective and be like, you know what? Yep. Maybe my yep. treatment of person A, B, whatever, has mm-hmm. not been good. Maybe my mm-hmm. viewpoint on this, did I hate people? Like, you know, yada, yada. No. But you know what? I need to be more understanding of that viewpoint of what this group of people have gone through. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, another group of people became less, less introspective. It became more of a almost selfish me, 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 me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, it, it's really weird how that happened. And also to talk about what you were saying earlier, you know, a large portion of the world has the beliefs that they have because they were born where they were born. Right. Right. I grew up Baptist because my mom was a Baptist and I grew up in Mm -hmm. America. Mm -hmm. But if I would have been born in Saudi Arabia, I would not have been a Baptist. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's just what you're talking about. A lot of times it's where you are. It's why you have a certain viewpoint. And if you start at the base level of everybody as a person who's valid, you know, wants to be loved, wants to love people, you know, wants to take care of their family. Mm -hmm. That's where you have to start. You have to. You have to. Yep. Absolutely. You have to. Yep. Yep. Boy. Well, we've had a really long episode. But it was good, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with you 100%. Yeah. So um, I think we should probably go ahead and sign off. But before I do, I wanted to give a quick update on my daughter. Emily is doing really well. Her wounds are healing really, really well. Her arm, the skin grafts on her arm, look really amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, her leg is a little bit behind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when she gets her custom compression sleeves, that will help because it will keep the blood flow going better to her leg. But she's doing really well. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just wanted to give that quick update in case anyone was wondering how she's doing very good i for one am excited and grateful to hear it absolutely absolutely Mm. me too Mm. so righty so i guess it's the point where we we say so long arrivederci goodbye until the next time catch you on the next one bye bye As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review, hit that like button, and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback is valuable, and we welcome it. If you would like to contact, connect with, or just want to see what we talk about between episodes, you can find us on Facebook under our podcast name, on Instagram at K-A-Y-A-N-D-J-A-Y-S-T-W, our website, podpage.com slash kenyatta-jack-save-the-world, or email at k.j.savetheworld at gmail.com. 
If you would like to learn about and contribute to our chosen charities, you can do so at Service Dog Project at servicedogproject.org and Black Women's Health Initiative at bwhi.org. Kenyatta and Jack Save the World is a product of Hyper Focus Podcasts.